The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know and Doesn't Have Time to Tell You. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. I'm Lindsay. Welcome. How are you today, Lindsay? I'm all right. Dealing with a little cold. So if we notice any hoarseness, that's what's going on, huh? I'll try not to cough. All right. Sounds good. So did you have a good weekend? I did. We we had some pretty good weather, so we were outside and we were um, raking leaves. That was kind of fun, Yeah, jumping in leaf piles. Some nice sunshine on Saturday that was pretty nice for late fall. So Right, it's, it's cold now. Yeah. And then you go into the stores and it's not even Halloween yet and they have Christmas stuff out. Yeah, I'm not there mentally yet. It's going to no. be a while, I think. So Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Well, we've got a good topic today. I think we've mentioned this one in passing um, a few other times. So talking about the thyroid today. Right. I think it's uh, often thought about. And even often blamed for symptoms that maybe it's not contributing to. Exactly. But something that is in, I think, the public thought a lot or fairly frequently for a health issue. Right. And certainly we want to treat... um, thyroid disorders when when they're found but we just wanted to educate on on some symptoms of concern and all the different um, problems that can occur with the thyroid all right so let's start by just kind of defining what the thyroid does where it is and talk about the anatomy a little bit yeah so it's it's a gland at the base of the neck and oftentimes we have to have you swallow to actually feel it so it's kind of just under the bone where we can feel but if you swallow it'll pop it up a little bit so that we can can palpate the most of the thyroid. thyroid yeah, and gland. I think it's um, it's lower than what many people think. Right, you can often see people's thyroid cartilage, which tends to stick out a little bit, and that sits right above the thyroid gland. But the gland itself sits fairly low in the neck, right at the middle. Um, and like Lindsay said, when you swallow, it slides up a little, and that allows us to feel it. And the thyroid gland secretes two types of thyroid hormone, T three and T four. T3 is the active form, and um, that works in cells to impact the metabolic rate, basically turnover of proteins and um, getting rid of different things in the cells. So depending on how much thyroid is present or absent will affect how quickly cells are turning things over. So that would translate into several things. Most common things that people think of is weight gain or weight loss. So right, this this could be either too much or too little thyroid. You can have weight gain, weight losses. You can have constipation. You can have diarrhea. You can have heart racing and palpitations. You can have fatigue. You can have sweaty or heat intolerance or cold intolerance. What are some other? Yeah, those are the big ones that I think of for sure. Um, you know, something that we often look for in the clinic would be um, heart rate. So the heart rate can be faster if thyroid is high and slower if it's low. And reflexes too. Reflexes tend to be increased when it's high and decreased when it's low. So there are a few things that you may not notice on your own, but that we would be looking for as well. You can have a tremor or be more anxious. 
Certainly some low mood and depression can be relatable to the thyroid. And even changes in voice, especially with low thyroid, we can see when it's been chronic and fairly severe over time, some pretty significant changes in how people talk. So those are kind of some of the symptoms that correlate with what the thyroid does in the body. I think in the past episode, we talked about how it's not, we don't measure the actual thyroid T3 and T4, the active thyroid, but we measure something else. You want to go through that axis again? Right. So what we measure is usually the thyroid stimulating hormone and we call it TSH. The thyroid stimulating hormone is produced in the pituitary gland. So that's a place in the brain, kind of between the eyes and in the brain. Um, And it travels to the thyroid gland where it tells the thyroid gland either to produce more or less thyroid. So When TSH is high, that's thyroid-stimulating hormone, it's telling the thyroid gland that we need more thyroid. And the thyroid may may mean that the thyroid level is low. When TSH is low, that means that the pituitary gland is seeing a lot of thyroid, and then it tells the, the thyroid gland, we don't need as much thyroid hormone, and so we can actually decrease the amount being produced. So it's kind of a um, complex feedback loop from the brain to the thyroid gland that allows the body to regulate and produce the right amount of thyroid hormone. We measure TSH because it's available on a more steady basis. And so its levels don't fluctuate as much. Generally, it um, when, you, when we are, say, treating somebody for low thyroid, it takes medications six to eight weeks um, to kind of reach what we call a steady state where the TSH will then reflect that dose. And so the TSH is not something that generally will change day to day. It's more, much more gradual, unlike the T3 and T4, right. which fluctuate quite a bit on a day to day basis. Exactly. And that's why we don't measure them, because even hour to hour, that could be different between the T3 and T4. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So before we get into different, you know, pathology of the thyroid gland, which are different, you know, different diseases, different things that can affect the thyroid, I also wanted to just make a note that there are medications that can also affect how the thyroid gland and even how TSH work. Yeah, no, and the interesting one that I don't even know if I knew about is retinoids. So um, people often take this for acne or they use it as creams on their skin. And I think that probably wouldn't affect so much. You're probably not absorbing. But if you're taking the oral retinoids for for acne purposes, that would be something you need to watch out for. Right. And then commonly, um, the heart medication, amiodarone, which, again, if you're not taking it, you may not have heard of it, and that's great. But if you're on it, amiodarone is one that can affect thyroid. And I see this often, actually, Mm -hmm. and so it's one that we check the TSH kind of annually in Mm -hmm. somebody who's on amiodarone. And then other environmental things can also affect the thyroid hormone levels, including smoking, um, PBCs in the environment, iodine, of course, which I shouldn't say of course, but if you're deficient in iodine, that's when we tend to see people with giant goiters. Um, those are the big enlargement of the thyroid gland because it's unable, it's struggling to produce the thyroid, but it's trying really hard to do so. And so iodine is needed for thyroid production. So there's lots of different um, problems that we can have with the thyroid. And I think you touched on one just there as the goiter, which is enlargement of the thyroid tissue, which can be a problem simply because the size and the growth can inhibit um Things like breathing and swallowing, if it grows back into the trachea towards the esophagus, 
Um, so it can be just a mass size problem that needs to be removed. Um, and sometimes they can be active, I guess I would call it, where they're actually producing hormone and so you can get hyperthyroid. Right. Yep. So goiters occur for different reasons, like you said. Sometimes it's um, proliferation of the thyroid cells and they're active and secreting extra thyroid. Sometimes the cells are proliferating but not secreting thyroid, and so the gland just is getting larger. Um, And sometimes the gland isn't working like it should, and it's trying to respond to high levels of TSH, which are stimulating it to try to produce more thyroid, but it's unable to do so. So when we see enlargement of the thyroid, either on exam or somebody comes in noticing a lump in their neck, then further evaluation is needed to figure out why it's occurring. And typically we'll check the TSH levels and then often an ultrasound to make sure that it's normal thyroid tissue. Often there's cysts and depending on the size of the cysts uh, and the way they look on the ultrasound we'll have to go for for biopsies of those areas and the things that we'd be looking for would be cancers of the thyroid which in general if you had to have a cancer uh, a papillary thyroid cancer would be the one to get because it's very treatable and not not a difficult treatment and it's kind of ablated and done Um, And then you just have to replace their thyroid, you know, beyond thyroid medication the rest of your life. But it it's a cancer that that doesn't kill you and doesn't have a lot of uh, negative consequences, I guess. Right. And that is the most common thyroid cancer, which is fortunate because it is, like you said, very treatable, very good prognosis with that one. And there's a very, very rare um, thyroid cancer, which I actually just had my first patient ever out of my oh, 15 years practicing medicine uh, that I've seen with medullary thyroid cancer. So it's very, very rare. You don't often see it, but it is a cancer with a high morbidity and mortality. Yeah, that one's a tougher, tougher diagnosis when we see that. But a goiter itself doesn't necessarily indicate cancer, and I would say most of the time does, does not, not indicate cancer. Even if there's a small nodule that needs to be biopsied, the vast majority of the time, it's going to be a benign nodule. Um, and I would say probably even more commonly than that, when we ultrasound the thyroid, we'll see multiple small nodules, which are that not don't worrisome, need don't need biopsying. It's just what we call a multinodular goiter, which is perfectly benign, not a worrisome thing, um, not usually something we have to do anything about. Then there's a couple of um, kind of autoimmune causes of hyper or hypothyroidism. And so you want to tell us a little bit about Graves' disease? Yeah, so basically Graves' disease occurs when people start producing autoantibodies, which are antibodies against their own tissue, and the antibodies are against the thyrotropin receptor, um, and that actually stimulates thyroid hormone synthesis and secretion as well as thyroid growth. And the things that we see in Graves' disease are hyperthyroidism, so excessive thyroid production by the thyroid gland, a goiter, We also see, because of these autoantibodies, often eye disease. And um, what you might notice if you look at somebody with Graves' disease is that their eyes look like they stick out or protrude a little bit more than normal. You see more of the whites of their eyes than on um, somebody without Graves' disease. And sometimes there can also be skin changes that occur in the setting of Graves' disease as well. Right, and so um, certainly the hyperthyroidism that is... um that this cause needs to be treated. And we 
often treat the symptoms of that and um, then people are sent for ablation. So let's yeah, let's talk what about the, the two common ways that we treat hyperthyroidism because Graves is one common, fairly common um, cause of hyperthyroidism. And then there are a few others that we might mention here too, but Graves um, or hyperthyroidism is treated usually by one of two ways. One is with radioactive iodine and the other is with surgery. Right. And so radioactive iodine is kind of the term ablation I was using. Mm-hmm. It kind of just, uh, in a way, kills the, the thyroid tissue from producing more thyroid hormone. Yeah. So people are administered iodine that has a radioactive isotope on it. That's taken up by the thyroid. It doesn't affect other parts of the body. Um, and then that just basically kills off the thyroid gland or the, most of the thyroid gland. So it stops overproducing thyroid. And then people are put on thyroid medication or levothyroxine, um, which they need to stay on chronically to replace that thyroid. But it's a fairly easy treatment. So the other option to treat hyperthyroidism of any causes to remove some thyroid tissue. And hopefully the idea there is that you can leave enough thyroid left to continue to produce enough thyroid hormone that you don't have to be on a supplement. Right. And that sometimes works and sometimes those patients end up on thyroid medication too. Yep. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is also an autoimmune disease, which, um, also makes antibodies to the thyroid peroxidase, the TPO, and thyroglobulin, um, which does the same thing. So it, it attacks the thyroid, um, and it makes it spill its stored thyroid hormone, and then um, it burns it out eventually, and you become hypothyroid. Right. So the main difference, I would say, I mean, it's different autoantibodies, so different antibodies involved in Graves and Hashimoto disease. Um, in Graves, the thyroid tends to stay overactive for quite some time. Whereas in Hashimoto, like Lindsay said, there's that initial high thyroid, which some people don't even notice. Right. Often we miss that. Yep. And then it tends to burn itself out and the thyroid levels drop after that. And these people, because the thyroid levels do drop, generally don't need any kind of ablation or treatment right. for overactive thyroid, but they do end up requiring thyroid replacement when right. that starts to happen. So it's probably the most common cause of hypothyroidism. Right. The so when somebody is on thyroid medication, the majority of people are because of Hashimoto disease. Right. Let's talk about thyroid replacement because I think, um, again, people, many people are on thyroid medication. This is something that comes up in office visits a lot when people are on medication. So from our perspective, it's a relatively easy thing to manage. Um, again, when we see, when we diagnose low thyroid or, you know, either after ablation or surgery or just after Hashimoto's progresses to that point, then we start people on usually a low to moderate dose of levothyroxine, which is basically just synthetic thyroid hormone. There is a place called subclinical hypothyroidism where, you know, it's from a normal TSH level to about a TSH level of 10 that a lot of research has been done and it's found at that point in time is probably more harmful than good to be on thyroid replacement. So even if you have symptoms in that span, a lot of the symptoms of hypothyroidism are common complaints from multiple causes. And so unless your TSH is greater than 10 with symptoms, we probably wouldn't recommend treating it. Uh, And that probably varies across some labs, but I would guess it's fairly stable. 
right. number, right. then then we wouldn't treat it because studies have shown that if you do, we cause more problems than than we prevent. Very true. Yes. And so, right, many, many times we can monitor kind of borderline low thyroid for quite some time. And I will maybe dive into this more, but you mentioned some of those symptoms that people might attribute to their low borderline low thyroid that can be very nonspecific. And so things like fatigue, which again can come from just living general life, not sleeping well, being busy, being active. Um, fatigue is a common concern and a common reason why people ask us to check thyroid. Right. Um, weight gain is another common yeah. one, which again, people tend to gain weight with age mm-hmm. and metabolism slows down just in general with age. And so those are two that, yeah, sometimes if there's a big concern, I will check somebody's thyroid, but I would be really hesitant to treat just based on those two symptoms alone. Right. When the, when the TSH does exceed that threshold, so 10 or you know above 10 or we're seeing other worrisome symptoms or other big changes, then we go ahead and start treatment. And again, usually we start with just a mid-range dose of thyroid and have somebody take it for eight weeks before we even recheck to see where we're at and how we're doing. And again, the reason that I mentioned before is because it takes that long to really reach a steady state and see how we're affecting that TSH level. And there are weight-based um, starting points that we know. So we, we base the first uh, starting dose based on, on your weight. Um, so we have some guideline, but then we have to make adjustments from there. Right. And I would say, um, you know, so generally once we get somebody to a steady level and the TSH is in a reasonable goal, and again, that would be usually we say between 2.5 and 5, but even a little lower than that and certainly up to 10 is within acceptable limits, um, then we just tend to leave the dose where it's at and just leave it alone. We have, again, many times people will ask or worry that they need an increased dose if their TSH is in the 7 range. And like Lindsay said, there's really good studies showing that that's not beneficial. We also recently had um, a study come out that looked at how well people were able to judge what their thyroid level was based on how they were feeling. And they were not good at it. Right. So they had people rate their symptoms and guess what their thyroid dose was. And this was a blinded study where they didn't know what dose they were receiving. And um, there was really no correlation between their symptoms and their thyroid levels, as long as the thyroid levels were within that um, normal range and even up to 7, 8, 10. There really wasn't a correlation. So it's much harder than we think to gauge is the thyroid too low or too high just based on symptoms alone. When we prescribe a medication to treat hypothyroidism, it's levothyroxine, which is T4. Right, and T4 is the precursor to T3, which is the active form. Um, However, we don't prescribe the active form. That used to be done sometimes in the past, but we found that levels were much harder to regulate with that form than when we give T4, and so that's why we use levothyroxine. There's lots of people outside of medical doctors who are prescribing kind of the T3 um, or other supplements that in studies have been found to be dangerous, I would say. Right. And there are many problems with taking thyroid supplements other than a prescription of levothyroxine prescribed by your clinician. Um, you, the the medication or the supplements are not regulated. They're not being monitored. If they're being monitored, we know from studies that 
the levels fluctuate greatly. You and don't so, know exactly what's in there. Exactly. So many problems with taking thyroid supplements. It's If you're being prescribed a thyroid medication, being prescribed levothyroxine in some form, then you should take it as directed. But we do not recommend supplements. Um, and I want to talk about a, kind of another example related to that. So when you're taking levothyroxine, it is really important to take it as directed. Um, again, you know, clinicians don't know exactly what you're doing but they guess and they, you know, we get a sense of it based on talking to you and also by measuring your labs. So I saw one patient way back when I was in training who had been on different levels of thyroid hormone and they kept coming back into their physician and their TSH always indicated that the dose was too low. So they kept increasing it. And one at one point, the patient was hospitalized for a heart attack and what happened was they had not been taking their thyroid medication and then suddenly started taking a very large dose that was being prescribed because their clinician was understood that they were taking it. And so they had increased the dose and increased the dose. And finally, the patient did decide to take it. Yes, and they got too much. So it's not a medication to um, play around with on your own or to you know not take. Or if you're not taking it, please at least tell your clinician that you're not taking it. I think it's important to take it the appropriate way. It's one of those medications that's not absorbed um, if there's other if there's food or there's other medicines in the stomach at the same time. So you have to take it first thing in the morning before food or other medicines by at least 30 minutes. And I've had similar things to that patient where where we kept upping the dose and upping the dose to get them there and it was and then when they finally started taking it the correct way on an empty stomach, then we way we had overdosed them. We had given them too much because they were finally just absorbing it. Right. So the way the medication is taken, the time of day, those things do matter with thyroid medication because of absorption and because of how it affects your body. So it's really important to let your clinician know how you're taking it, if you're missing doses, all of those things, because they will need to adjust or not adjust the dose based on what you're doing. So like we mentioned earlier, we physicians used to prescribe T3, and that, that often comes in the form of lyothyronine or cytomel. And sometimes physicians or endocrinologists would use a combination of T4 and T3 replacement to try to get the right um, balance of those hormones. Now, generally, at least as in an internal medicine clinic, I'm only using T4, which is levothyroxine. Um, but there are recent studies showing new uses for T3. Yeah, and, and um, I had noticed that a couple of the psychiatrists were prescribing it, and uh, I wondered what was up. So I went and looked, and there's a couple of new studies that show that Cytomel is helpful in the treatment of depression. So there are some indications for it, and, and we'll keep learning, but I think for hypothyroidism, um, it is not recommended and again, I wouldn't be taking it from sources that aren't uh, a medical doctor prescribed. Yeah, that's good information. And we'll definitely have to keep our listeners posted as to um, new uses for thyroid as they come along. Certainly that could impact thyroid hormone levels too. And so we'll need to kind of see how things play out as cytomel is being used for depression treatment. I think as we've stated before, we base our doses when we're giving the the T4, the levothyroxine, on the TSH. And it very rare occurrences do we need to check the actual T3, T4 levels. Um, 
that's not how we dose the medicines and that's not, um, you know, that interferes with kind of this negative feedback loop. So I think it's important to note that it's very rare that we would we would check anything other than a TSH. Right. So the one time we do that is when we're looking for a central cause of hyper or hypothyroidism. And central is, again, when referring to that pituitary gland because the pituitary is where that TSH comes from. So if we check a TSH and it doesn't seem to correlate with symptoms that someone is having, or perhaps sometimes I do on the first time I check a TSH, I'll maybe get the T4 so that I can make sure that they're correlating. But if something doesn't seem right when I check a TSH, then we'll get the T4 and T3 because that can tell me is it something, is the problem coming from the pituitary gland, not the thyroid gland? And then that requires obviously a different kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the pituitary gland can also cause hyper and hypothyroidism if there are growths in the pituitary that either over-secrete or under-secrete TSH. Right. There's micro or macro adenomas of the pituitary that can occur. And they cause other symptoms um, as well. And so we'd be tipped off by those things. Kind of a different subject, but... Absolutely. Yep. Yep. But something to be aware of. Yep. that mostly covers it for the thyroid gland. Do we have a health pearl today, Lindsay? Yeah, I was thinking of something the other day. Totally not have any, it does not have anything to do with the thyroid, but something that I tell people often, um, a pearl that I learned when I, I kind of shadowed a podiatrist in my geriatric fellowship because there's a lot of foot issues in the older adult population. And I learned when I was working with him that um, for, you know, when your nails get thick and yellow, that's usually a, f- a fungus in the nail. And there's lots of, you know, there's an oral treatment that's expensive and can hurt your liver and it's probably not worth taking. And there's a lot of very expensive topical medications. Th- there's very expensive topicals that you could use, but a very, not maybe not cheap, but a much more cost-effective treatment is just to use Vicks VapoRub. So the brand name's Vicks VapoRub on your toenails at night. Um, and it still takes months to years to get rid of, but if you, you know, slather on a group of, you know, a big glob of Vicks VapoRub onto your nail bed and the nail at night, you can get rid of that nail fungus. So I've seen it work in patients. So yeah, it's been great. Yep. Thanks so much for listening today. You can find the links in our show notes at www.everythingdoc.com. We love your feedback, questions, and suggestions. You can email us at mail at everythingdoc.com. Please follow us on Twitter and uh, Facebook. And our podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Please, uh, if you find this to be helpful, refer your family and friends. Um, You can also leave a review for us because that lets other people know about us as well. And if you want to rate us, we appreciate that too. Have a great week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.